0: Hello and welcome to the second episode of the camera channel podcast. My name is Michael Sanders and on this episode, myself and my guests are discussing Sony's latest entry into the market, the FX9. It's widely believed that the combined sales of both versions of the FS7 make it Sony's best ever selling professional video camera. The camera delivers excellent performance and functionality at a comparatively rock bottom price, which saw sales go through the roof. The headline features of the FX9 that make it so desirable are autofocus, a first in a Sony professional video camera, a tweakable in post steady shot function, and of course its full-frame 6K sensor and colour science, inherited in part from Sony's flagship camera, the Venice. So, is the FX9 destined to take the sales crown from the FS7? Well, judging by anecdotal evidence from suppliers, the answer already seems to be yes, as it seems to be flying out the doors as soon as shipments arrive. My guests on this episode to discuss the camera are Connell Freely, Paul Ream, known to many as the person who discovered that the F5 could shoot 4k, Graham Risden and
1: Robin Smith. Hello my name is Freely, I'm a London-based freelance cameraman.
2: I'm Graham Risden and I work as a freelance cameraman out of Wiltshire. Hi I'm
3: Paul Ream, based down in Bournemouth, um, freelance cameraman.
4: My name is Robin Smith, uh, again, freelance cameraman, working mostly in natural history TV. Uh, Work mostly out of Bristol, but I'm based in South Wales.
0: Welcome all, and thank you for taking the time to join me. Um, Robin, in particular, I'm really glad you were able to make it, because as I understand it, you only got your camera this week, but you've already had it out working, so I'm really interested to hear your immediate initial impressions.
4: Yeah, literally, it's, it's a week old, and I had three days in a studio in Bristol with it uh, last week shooting uh, some macro stuff for a new BBC Natural History series. Yeah, it's interesting. First impressions for what I was doing last week, uh, shooting studio lit macro uh, close-up stuff. Um, The dual ISO is uh, just a game changer. I mean, I've used that on the Vericam LT and really loved it on the Vericam. So it was something that I was quite keen on a lot of the stuff I've been doing this year as well, we've been shooting on um, Red Gemini's, which again have dual ISO. So that was just brilliant, having that on a Sony camera. Um, I shot pretty much everything, S-Log 3, um, and just stuck to the base ISO 4000. And yeah, I mean, from what we could see you know, on the monitor and, and looking at it, it holds up really well. It's really clean, um, just gives you a heap more flexibility for that sort of low light up close stuff obviously large sensor shallow depth of field is an issue and you stick a macro lens or a scope in front of the camera and it it just compounds that um so any any extra light you can get in is is a bonus and then also i found the whole sort of super 35 4k sensor scan quite useful as well so i did a bit with the lower scope which is notoriously slow um, and poor in, in, in sort of low light. So I can put a speed booster behind that, give myself another stop, and, and, and that really helps. So, yeah, dual ISO, big thumbs up from me on that camera.
0: My, it sounds like you're smitten already. Um, the dual base ISO is really impressive. I saw the Australian Cinematographer's Society test, and the 4000 ISO is so, so clean. Um, Connell, we were briefly chatting beforehand and, and I think you mentioned it had basically saved your shoot.
1: I was on a shoot yesterday with it in um, uh, Edwardian Town Hall up in Sutton Coldfield. We were doing sort of documentary style shots that we were after. So this town hall had 400 young kids and parents crammed into it. There was no room for any lighting. There was just myself, a director and a sound recorder. So it had four large chandeliers right up in the high ceiling. When you got close to the chandeliers, up at the, up at the top, it was quite bright. But down at ground level where everybody was sat, it was really dark. So my director had a seven-inch monitor with them. And I switched on the camera, set up a wide shot at low base ISO. We were shooting custom mode. The pictures were basically unusable. It was so dark, even on a wide shot. On a tight shot, impossible. It was just unusable. So I just flicked the camera to uh, high base ISO, bingo. The director's face said it all, he, he, no pun, his, his sort of eyes lit up uh, looking at the shot. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. My FX9 saved the day yesterday because we would barely have got a shot in this uh, town hall without the dual base ISO. It was just absolutely brilliant. It's the first time I've used it in anger and uh, it, it, the director was just so happy that we could get the shots I think that's a game changer, especially if you're doing documentary-style filming where, you know, you can't put any lights up uh, for one reason or another.
0: It does go to show just how far sensor designers come that you've got cameras that can produce such high-quality pictures at such relatively high sensitivity. Paul, when we met at the BSC show earlier this year, you were saying you've already become a big fan of dual-base ISO but also it's changed how you are using the camera.
3: Yes, I mean, there's very little noise difference between 800 and 4000 ISO. And I think I got used on the S5 to working in ISO mode. So when I wasn't working in gain mode, I was adjusting the ISOs. And the trouble with the FX9 is that every different gamma curve you use, every different picture profile has a different base ISO in effect because you're changing the middle gray you're changing the brightness of the picture which means it you're never clear when you're using iso what is the cleanest position is it is it better to have a base a a low base and then increase the iso to get more more picture or is it better to start with a high base and bring the iso down it's really difficult to know where you are so i've i've actually reverted to using gain like in the old days of of digi cameras, and then 0 dB gain is 0 dB gain. There's yeah. the minimum noise. Mm. And it's so much easier now. I've reverted back to using gain instead of ISO. It's just adjusting the brain, I think.
0: It certainly is a really obvious, simple way of working, especially if you've come from a video camera background.
3: I was just going to say I'd rather work in 4,000 ISO as a base and put ND in rather yeah. than, than use 800 and, and, and wind the gain up.
2: I think that's the general view, isn't it? That that's a better way of doing it because, as you say, the 4000 base ISO is just really clean. I, I work a lot with one director and uh, he noticed, obviously I told him I had a new camera, he said, you know, the pictures are noticeably better and that's because I did my own post as well and I thought, well mm, that's, that's nice to know, really. You know, people that don't necessarily in, into the techiness of cameras actually um, actually notice it, you know.
0: So with that director, Graham, were you shooting S-Cinetone? Because that's the other big part of the story of this camera, the colour, which, as I said in the introduction, is inherited from the Venice. So just to explain briefly for our listeners that might not know, S-Cinetone is a built-in look that Sony have put into the camera that they say is designed to make the best out of the sensor and the pictures from it are really impressive. I mean, I was talking to Richard,
2: hmm, and chief engineer at Sony, and he said s Cine is basically something you wanna just put straight out. You don't have to grade, it just sits there and it looks like a finished picture. And some of the pictures that I've seen from it, it, it that's exactly it.
0: I mean, it does very closely match the Venice, which is amazing that yeah. you can get a camera that's 50, you know, t- what, yeah. what's yeah. it, nine grand to match a camera that's 50? 50, 50 or something, I mean, yeah, yeah, by the yeah. time you get all the bits, yeah. And you can really see productions making use of this because it's yeah. such a time saver.
1: I've done a few standalone sort of interviews uh, uh, in custom mode with S Cinitone, and uh, directors of um, you know, non non-tech, technical directors yeah. have come back and said, you know, they really love the shot. I mean, can't, can't, he <laughs> exactly, can't pinpoint yeah. why he likes it, but they, they really, they really <laughs> yeah, love it. Yeah,
0: absolutely that. right. Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of DPs going to like it because with Log, you do sometimes feel especially on fast turnaround stuff, that you lose control of the picture-making process?
4: I, I do slightly miss the days of when you felt like you had a little bit more sort of creative input in how the end image would look and, mm. you know, you, you sort of have, you know, a variety of, of, of set-up cards that you'd put into your beater, and, yeah, you were hanging on to a little bit more of the creative input and I do miss that, I have to say. So I think anything that we can do to take a little bit of that back is perhaps not a bad thing.
3: I've I've spent most of the time since I had my FX9 persuading directors to use Cinetone instead of shooting yeah, Um And, and when, when you do persuade them, they actually like it. So, happy mm. days.
0: So, of course, the other headline feature is the full-frame sensor. What's been the biggest impact for you when using it?
3: Everything's a bit wider.
0: <laughs>
1: yes.
4: <laughs> You've got to, to stand a bit closer.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's all about lenses, really, I think, for me, yeah. personally.
2: I mean, my go-to lens for interviews is like a fifty. Um so I, using a twenty eight seventy five zoom is it actually works really well. You just get a bit closer, you know. I,
3: I, I've also been using up until now a, f- a fifty, but now i'm I find I'm switching to the eighty five. So I've got a canon eighty five one point two as my interview lens, and it just looks glorious on a full frame. You know it's about that full frame look, isn't it? You know it' it's, yeah. it's, It just looks different, and it's difficult to put into words.
0: yes Yes. although if you read the blogs of steve yedlin asc he's fairly adamant there's no (laughs) such thing as a large format look
3: it it, that might be technically correct but in in reality it makes it easier to throw that background even on wide lenses Mm. and and that is the look i think we all talk about and it's it it's just making stuff easier to do the, the thing is, with the with shooting 6K on a full-frame scan, your pictures are actually sharper than when you're on Super 35 mode mm. because it's down-sampling the resolution um, and because the camera doesn't use so much detail edge correction in it because it doesn't need to, the 6K full-frame sensor looks sharper than the, the the Super 35 scan.
0: And it does produce really super sharp images, certainly the ones I've seen I've been super impressed with. But? It comes at a cost. Larger format sensor means longer focal length lenses, potentially at wider apertures, shallower depth of field. If only there was some technology to help us out there. Um, and that leads us neatly onto autofocus. Now, of course, other camera manufacturers have had autofocus for some time, most notably Canon. But did this camera having autofocus play a role in you deciding to buy the camera? It certainly contributed to me i mean i
2: do a lot of single person doing interviews and stuff and to be able to pop a lens on set set auto um you know face detect on and let it run and it keeps the person in focus with a shallow depth of field is brilliant you know i don't have to worry about that you know when you're single person doing doing interviews for corporates and things that really makes a difference you know i've been caught out before where people have sort of moved forward and dropped out of focus and we've had to cover it with a cutaway you know so uh, I wouldn't say it was the only reason. It was certainly a, a major reason for me.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good selling point, depending on what kind of work you do, I guess. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. I bought one of these only lenses, the G lens, the 24-105, to just so I could have a play around with the autofocus, really, and get the hang of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've used it a couple of times on interviews as well, and it works really well. Yeah. I, as, as, you know, for when people are swinging backwards and forwards in the chair. Yeah. Um, as, as some people do dramatically sometimes. Yeah. Um, Paul, have you had a chance yet?
3: Yeah, I've used it a lot. Um, I didn't buy the camera for the autofocus, but now I've got it. I actually quite like it. Um, I've been doing a lot of talking head stuff, um, really shallow depth of field. Um, and, yes, it, it, it locks on. It's really good. And I've, I've set up the, um, the different autofocus modes on assign assignable buttons. Um and I find it quite easy to use, even even handheld on the fly as it were. It, it I'm getting used to it. Um, it's becoming part of a it's another tool, isn't it? It's nice.
1: Yeah, I think it's a case of getting used to it and you have to you kinda know, kinda of, kind of have to use it fairly regularly, which I haven't yet. So
3: yeah. I'm a big fan of the face only mode, so that it doesn't hunt around if, if a face leaves frame or something like that. It just stays where it is until the face comes back and it, it, it's working really well.
0: Like we said, Sony are a bit behind the curve adding autofocus to their professional cameras. But certainly talking to Canon users, it's amazing how quickly you get used to having it as a feature on a camera and how often they find themselves using it. A feature that probably falls into a similar category is the in-camera stabilisation. Now, Canon's works with the sensor actually moving to stabilise the image. This camera works by having gyros, which record that information as metadata on the clip. You then have to take the clip into Sony's own Catalyst Browse software, and that gives you the option of adding stabilization to the exported clip.
3: I've not really used it on jobs yet because directors and production companies, they don't want to add Catalyst Browse to their workflow. So it's pointless me saying you can use this because they just won't. So I've only played with it myself. Um, It works really well. If you've got an E-mount lens on the front, as long as you turn the stabilization off on your lens, um, because they won't work together, it works really well. And I like the fact that you can adjust the amount of stabilization you get. What they need to do is, is provide plugins for Final Cut and Avid and Premiere, you know, and as soon as they arrive, then, yes, then that'll be the game
0: changer, wouldn't
3: it? Yeah, then all my clients can use it as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I always find tripods are good for stabilisation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the cameras are so light nowadays, you don't need a tripod. Um, as a matter of interest, Paul, how long did it take to process the footage?
3: It's almost real time in, in how long it takes to play. You can see it go through, so that if you've got a five-minute clip, it's going to take you five minutes to five minutes to stabilize. It that's how it feels. I mean, that depends on how fast you process, your your computer is, really. I suppose.
0: Now, if I was going to buy an FX9, and to be honest, you guys are doing quite a good job convincing me that I should. What accessories do you think I should buy with it? And I have to say, I've got a pretty good idea of what you're going to say. A <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah you know the, the loop viewfinders you know step on from the fs7 and it is better but I have to say it's always been the sort of weak link for me is is is, is the viewfinder and and yeah the the, the gratical eye again was a bit of a game changer with with the FS7 so um you know hopefully that will be the same but I think also what was really I found really really encouraging was that a lot of my FS7, kit fitted straight on the fx9 so all of that stuff's really appreciated the fact that i haven't got to go out and buy a whole load of new cards you know was a massive thing the only slight sticking point for me at the moment is running it off v
1: mm-hmm.
4: i've been holding out slightly controversial actually but i've been holding out for the Bebob. i've used their batteries with higher kits and i've been pretty impressed really it's good german engineering pretty stuff.
2: I've got the core adapter. I managed to swipe one when CVP had a bit of stock. I, I found it really good. It fits really solidly onto the camera. I think the thing that wor- worries me with Sony is they seem to be, like they do with their stills cameras, they're sort of saying you can only use Sony batteries if you want everything to work properly. And that, that's slightly concerning with firmware. The issue, of course, is with the, with the V-Lock backs is is actually finding, because you don't get any indication that you, the, the voltage is going to go and the battery's about to die. You get On the core, core you get like a little red flashing light, which is very easy to miss. So I ended up investing in some core um, batteries, which have got a a usage meter on the back. So they have the amount of time left, and it, it works out the current drawer, and it says, well, based on that, this is how much time you've got. And they've been really good.
3: I'm a big fan of the core, the core SWX mount as well, and I'm using that. Um, did, did you know that you can uh, unlock the core and put a BPU inside at the same time as your v So if they do run out, you, you don't lose the last shot. Does that mean you've got to keep taking it off and charging it, or the little standard BPu thirty five, I think it is, that comes with the camera? That lasts me for about two weeks,
2: right? And then you just swap it out, you know? Yeah, yeah.
3: because it's only being used as you as you you can hot swap your hot V-lock. Swap,
2: yeah, that's quite um, handy, isn't it?
3: It also means yeah. that when your V-lock runs completely flat, you see it in the viewfinder because it switches seamlessly from DC in. Yeah, the battery symbol.
2: Yeah, of course.
3: And then you know instantly you've you've got like you know, half an hour's warning that you, you've got to swap yeah, batteries. So that's yeah. the solution, I think. That is the solution, you're right.
0: So is there anything you don't like about the camera? Is there any limitation that
3: you found? You can only use LUTs in 4K when you're outputting or recording 4K. You can't use any LUTs on the output um, if you're shooting HD. That's the main problem.
0: That's a weird one. Why have they done that, do you think?
3: I'm told it's because there's basically two processors on the camera. What happens is when you're shooting 4K, um, you've you've got to downscale from the 6K sensor into a 4K output, and then you've still got another processor available for putting on a LUT. But if you you downscale from 6K to 4K and then 4K to HD, you haven't got a processor left over for doing the LUTs, so they've run out of processing power <clears throat> when you're shooting HD. That's what I'm told. I, it sounds a bit bizarre because you can buy, you know, a 150-pound Chinese monitor that has in, inbuilt LUTs hmm. in it. So hmm. I, I think it's weird that they've run out of processing power to do it inside the camera, but that's that's what I've been told. Yeah, I don't know. So you're gonna get,
0: yeah, are you going to break out your little gizmo and start interrogating the firmware again, Paul?
3: Um, no. <laughs> 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 the camera's too new at the moment. I mean, if it's if I'm following requests, it's from people who want the 6K output rather than the LUTs. But, um, I mean, the solution to the LUTs is just to get a monitor that has inbuilt LUTs on it, really.
0: And, of course, another feature that's got people scratching their heads a bit about is how Sony have implemented RAW on this camera. You have to buy the XDCA FX9 extension back. It's an interesting way of doing it. I wonder why Sony went the route they did.
1: It'll all be right about money. Yeah.
3: I think I think it's also protecting the Venice yeah if if you if you yeah, have true. a raw output and even a 6k output um, which is perfectly possible out of the FX9 there's no reason why they can't have a 6k output apart from the fact that they charge 10,000 pounds as an upgrade on the Venice for that for that raw and 6k full-frame output
0: but even with the back of the camera still represents good value for money and it does sound like you guys are really enjoying using the camera
1: I took to the FX9 like a duck to order. I think the menus, the menu layout is a bit better and the rotary wheel on the front where you can flick through the, uh, all, all the main important settings on the, the Sony viewfinder. That's a great, that, 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 I find that really useful yeah, as well, pretty, personally.
2: Yeah. So throwback to the, like a two-thirds camera, isn't it? They had the wheel on the front.
3: It's funny, coming from a, an F5 to the FX9, um, I'm finding the FX9 so much easier to use than the F5. It's it's like a breath of fresh air because I'm so used to having to go through menus and side panels to get to anything. Having a hard button for everything really helps. I'm 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 enjoying it. I think yeah, it's,
2: it's fantastic. Me too. I mean, coming from the FS7, it's just for me, it's an FS7 Plus and it's just I've, I've used it straight out of the box. I've used it on I don't know, seven or eight jobs so far. But it's things like um, the buttons when you switch from to manual and auto, there's a light on the on the FX9 which is really neat, um, uh, the, the four channels of audio, because I've got one of the Sony um, hot shoe mics, that makes it really easy. Um, but the autofocus for me is a, is a complete game changer.
1: It's a keeper,
2: yeah. I think. Mean. Yeah, I, d- I don't remember being as pleased with a camera before, and I bought a few at the time.
1: Yeah. I agree. I t- one, one of the minor little thing, it, people might laugh at this, but I, I actually like the, the new colour as well. I think it looks a bit more professional. It, professional. it, look, it <clears> looks professional. <throat> it, it looks arry, arry-like almost with the, sort of the, the dark grey body shell. I, I quite like that. It's only a cosmetic thing, I know. but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm
3: with you. I'm with you. I totally love the colour of the camera. Um, but the, it's, from a picture point of view, it's certainly the best pictures of, of any camera I've ever owned. I think yeah, it's, it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah, the S straight out of the box, I and mean, it's just yeah. brilliant. I mean, it's it makes us all look good.
3: I wish the cable was longer on the viewfinder.
4: Yes, just I mean, it's yeah. just
3: a bit short for where I want to mount yeah, it. Yeah,
4: and the remote as well. Actually, the remote cable is a touch short. I noticed. That. Yeah, it is. A few inches longer.
2: Actually, that's the downside. Thinking that multi connector, I, d- I don't trust it as much as the the old Lank connector. You know, because I tend to I've I've worked a way of keeping the the, the uh, you know the arm permanently attached because i don't like the idea of plugging and unplugging a little usb connector i think that's a point of failure
4: mm. i mean the weather ceiling if it's to be believed the improvements they've made is is welcome i mean i have to confess i did kill my first fs7 with a rather extreme exposure to water so um I think any, <laughs> any, any improvements they can they can they can do on the weather sealing would be appreciated um i did learn a few lessons from that one but um yeah apparently it is it is far better uh, environmentally sealed than the, than the f7
0: it's really great to hear you all talking so positively about the camera um paul you and i have talked before about where this camera sits in the current sony lineup do you think there's still a place for the f 555
3: I think I'm slightly unusual in that I don't think the FX9 replaces the FS7. The, f- the FS7 Mark II is still being made and it's half the price of an FX9. So I don't see the FX9 as a replacement for that. I see the FX9 as more an F5 replacement, um, mm. which then means w- what are they going to do between the huge gap between the FX9 and the Venice? Um because the F55 and the and the five might still be on their website, but they're not making them, and they're not selling any. Um, you talk to any of the dealers; they haven't sold fives and fifty-fives for all, over a year now. But the FS7 mm-hmm. is still selling, so it, 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 it's not. It, it's in a different place in the market. So, I th- the next camera we'll probably see is maybe it's rumored to be the FX6, which is lower than an FX9. Mm-hmm. FS5 replacement. No. Yeah, but then there's still got to be something between an FX9 and the Venice, and that's the interesting one. And I, you know, there's all sorts of rumours of what it'll be, but um, I'm I'm told it'll be about twenty-five thousand pounds for the camera body, whatever it is. So. <laughs> that moves it in, into a middle market if you like
2: do you think productions will actually favor the fx9 over the fs7 so people will expect oh well we want an fx9 no not an fs7 because a lot of them d- definitely wanted fs7s in the past didn't they yeah definitely do you think they're do you think that's that's going to happen productions are going to say no we want we as
3: want soon the as they famous. see what the pictures look like
2: yeah well yeah exactly
0: and that seems a great point to leave our discussion we ended up rambling on for about an hour and 45 minutes but I hope we've given you a good flavour of the conversation and an idea of what the camera can do. I'd like to thank my guests, Connell Freely, Paul Ream, Graham Risden and Robin Smith. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please let us know. You can find us on Twitter at The Camera Channel Podcast or by leaving a comment on our webpage, mjsanders.co.uk slash podcast. My name's Michael Sanders. Thank you for listening and goodbye.